Well, good morning to you. You doing well? I'll say it again. Good morning. Good morning. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Um, uh, if you're a guest, first time here, I'm the worship leader here at Parkwood Kings Mountain. My name is Micah. Any other week of the year, you would come and see me lead worship. This is your one rare week, so uh, um, I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much. I'm humbled to stand before you uh, to open the Word of God together uh, to see what He has in store for us this morning. So go ahead, turn to Genesis chapter 11. This is where we are in our study of Genesis. Um, so before we stand up and read, as we normally do, we need to have a background as to where we are in the story. So last week, the flood happened, the wrath of God over the entire human race. Everything that had life dies at the flood. We see God's incredible and remarkable grace, seeing that he finds Noah righteous in his sight, and he is saved from the wrath of God, and he comes out of the flood, out of the ark. God brings him out, restored. It seems like there's a whole new hope, a whole new life for humanity, uh, and then we quickly see how fast humankind fades, do we not? We see at the end of chapter 9 that Abraham, or excuse me, Noah passes away, which means simply that he is not the promised Messiah. He is not the one who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. No, 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 he, he's not. He's a normal human being, just like you and me. The other thing we see also in this passage from last week is that his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all the people, me and you included, comes from these three men. We're all still the seed of Adam, but we actually come from these three men. So to kind of connect that for this week as we move forward, chapter 10, go ahead and turn there with me if you want to. Chapter 10 is basically a summary, a basic overview of all these descendants, all these generations from these three sons of Noah. Uh, a couple names we need to really look at very quickly before we start reading is in chapter, excuse me, in verse 8 and 9, you see it says, Cush father Nimrod. And I think that his mother did not love him with that name. That is embarrassing. But this guy had it going on. As you're going to find out, his name actually means rebellion. It's important. Think about that the rebellion. And look who he is the leader of in verse 10. He says, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel. Babel, that's where we are today. So in other words, this people that we're about to read about is led by a man named Rebellion. Other thing we need to see very quickly, go to verse 25. It says, to ever were born two sons, the name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Peleg is important there. Peleg means in Hebrew, divided. So in other words, the son of Eber is named divided. And why is that? For in his days the earth was divided. So it's important to think about this as we study this passage of Scripture today. As chapter 11 goes in the middle... Or it kind of connects with 10. Think about Genesis 1 and 2 real quick. Genesis 1 is the whole entire picture of a creation account, right? God says, let there be light, there's light. Chapter 2 is kind of like a zoom point 
into that creation narrative. So we see in more specifics the creation of man and woman. Now, but it's the same thing with 10 and 11. 11 can kind of place inside of this story. It's not a, a response to chapter 10. It kind of connects, and I'll show you why. Most scholars believe that you can actually place this story in chapter 11, in verse 25, and it kind of works. It's, it's both a, uh, you're seeing the response to chapter 11, because the nations are divided, but you're also seeing that in, within these generations, the actual separation takes place. So that's just a couple things to think through as we begin the study. So if you will, go ahead and stand with us as we read the Word of God together. Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with us top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of all the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have whole one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's Speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Verse 9, therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let us pray. Father God, you are awesome. Lord, thank you so much for leading us to the cross and worship this morning. Lord, I pray that the song we just sang, hallelujah, all I have is Christ, hallelujah, Jesus is my life, is a testament, not just words we say, it's a testament to our lives and hearts this morning. Lord, I pray through your word, would you speak to us, God? Give me clear speech, God, give me clear mind to share your word, but more than that, I pray that your word is heard alone. God, that your power is seen and that the glory and magnificence of Jesus Christ is viewed. God, I pray this morning that our hearts and lives are shook by your written words. So, Holy Spirit, have your way in this service. In Jesus' name alone, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, in your notes, I started with Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, God promises this, that there's going to be enmity between the serpent seed and the woman seed. And have we not already seen that in the Genesis narrative? Think about it. Cain and Abel, beautiful picture of that. There's a, there's a, there's a conflict taking place. And goodness, didn't we see that last week at the flood? Continually, this enmity between Satan's offspring in God's righteousness. But here's the goodness of Genesis 3.15. At the very end of it, it says that there will be somebody one day who's going to stomp the head of the serpent. In other words, God will never be stopped. His purposes, his plans will always come to fruition. He will triumph. And we're about to see that 
this morning in this passage together. So, in other words, what we're about to go over the next few minutes is this, is that our sovereign God is able to break down secular kingdoms in order to restore his kingdom on earth. So that's where we're going, and we're about to unfold this. Two main sections, arrogance of man, sovereignty of God, within each section, four points. I promise the, the notes is not, is not bad as they look. So, <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and start at verse 1 and 2. We see two things, one language, and then move eastward. So again, now the whole earth had one language in the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So let's think about this very quickly. They're of one. This is the entire human race. We're not talking about a, a particular group. We're not talking about separate peoples here. This is the whole humanity in one here in this passage. Now, notice the one thing is that they have one language in the same words. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a relationship that actually is successful that does not involve communication? No, right? Husband, you have to talk to your wife. Wife, you have to talk to your husband. Boyfriend, girlfriend, you got to talk to each other. Why? Because you got to figure stuff out. If you don't figure stuff out, you are in a mess for days and weeks, possibly years. <laughs> so think about that. This is one people, they're united with one language. So what's that mean? They're of one accord, right? Think about that. I've had that picture of Acts chapter 2 at the end of Pentecost. It says the whole body of believers are together, and they're all of one accord, and they have all things in common. So imagine that. That's my picture here. These people have all things in common. And what's their unifying thing? Is their language. I can communicate with you. Hey, 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 Bill, did, did, did you see that over here? Yes, I did, Frank. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. This is a communication situation. So they're unified. Second thing we see in verse 2 is that they migrate from the east. Now, the land that they moved to is the land of Shinar. Now, Shinar later on in the Old Testament is the land of Babylon. That's where they're moving to. And for us today, it's modern Iraq. So if you want to put that in a modern perspective, they moved from Palestine area to modern Iraq, and you imagine what that looks like. So we have that picture in our mind. But I want you to notice that it says they migrate from the east. Now that's significant throughout, especially Genesis. East, in your notes, it says that from the east, eastward is symbolic in Genesis because it is a movement away from Eden. Genesis 3.24, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and it says that at the east of the garden, he places cherubim and flaming sword to guard the entrance to the tree of life. Genesis 4.16, Cain and Abel. Cain, after receiving his judgment, it says, when Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which is the east. So, so when we're seeing this, this has to be a trigger already. So this unified group of people, all massed together in one language, talking about life together, they're moving east. In our minds right here, we got to start thinking, there's something going on. This, this, this history, this track that we've already been reading through in Genesis, it's not too good for them. So they're, they're about to be the, the same thing. It's about to be not good in this story. So let's keep going on. Verses 3 and 4, we see three, two things. 
man's ingenuity. And the fourth thing is that we see man's further rebellion and pride. So verse 3, and they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So let's stop there. So bricks, me and you, we know all about bricks today, right? Most houses are made out of bricks. It's kind of a common uh, uh, a thing that we see, we use, it's in our homes, all these kind of things, right? So think about this. Brick making, this is an invention at its greatest. There's no such thing as brick before this moment. And so we're starting to see a difference already. The, the land of Palestine, they're, they're rich with stone and, and, and quarries, all these kind of things. They have no problem finding rock in Palestine. What we're finding out is that in modern Iraq, there's not too much stone happening up in this place. So this unified group of people who's moving eastward, they're wanting to settle down, and they have nothing to build with. They said, we don't have this stone that's more structural. We've got to do something. So what they, they says they, they make bricks. And isn't that the, the, the beauty of being in the image of God? Think about it. You're creating the image of God. You can think. You can observe. You can ana- analyze. You can figure things out. This is, this is man's image in God seen as greatest. And I got a couple passages there for you. Uh, Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, man was made. It's Psalm 8. You know Psalm 8 without even having to look at it. Psalm 8. Who is man, God? Creator God, who is man that you would even think about him? You've placed him just a little lower than the angels, but he's above all the rest of creation. Who are we? There's, you are special this morning because you are a human being. Then go to Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to start at verse 21, though, for the sake of time. So verse 21 says this, Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, I, I, I don't know sources of this. I, I've heard that in this society, it was not uncommon for them to actually worship bricks, the, the art of brick making. It's kind of absurd, but it's not. It's not if you think about it. Don't we so often, we just grasp to worship anything in our lives? Think about it. Our, our purpose in life is to bring worship and glory to God. And in our hearts, we have to worship something. Right? Think about it. Think about your life right now. It's so easy to start worshiping something that you have. If your fo- eyes is not focused on Christ, your life is not planted in Christ completely and fully, what happens? We start wandering. Remember that hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
So here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for that courts above. Your heart is prone to wonder. And we're about to find that out in this passage. These people's hearts are wondering. And it's wondering big time because in verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So, so if you think about the story before this verse, it don't seem harmless. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they're not, they're not listening to God about filling the earth, but overall, they're, they're using the gifts God has given them. Are they not? They're, they're being inventive. They're being uh, innovative. And what we're finding out all of a sudden is man's pride gets the best of him. You ever did that in your life? Pride, arrogance. Man, I'm good. I can do anything. There's no one better than me. Think about this. Mankind invents the thing of the brick. They're probably doing other inventions at this time as well. And look what they say. They actually have the arrogance to say, I can do this on my own. We better preserve what we're doing here because there's something special about us as men and women. So they say this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. <laughs> Think about this. So in this, in this scripture, it's important to realize the history of Babylon. Background of Babylon. Babylon, um, basically, they had this thing called a ziggurat. You know what a ziggurat is? It's, a, it's basically a pyramid kind of thing. It had steps on the side. Uh, if you ever saw a Mayan temple, that's the same kind of concept. We went to a place at the cruise, on a cruise one time, and we saw uh, kind of like an old Mayan ruin kind of thing, and, and it was cool. You know, they have all this really cheap stuff. Oh, this is, this is authentic Mayan stuff. Like, no, it isn't. It's just made in USA. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that kind of situation. But we go in the middle of this thing, you start seeing the, the creativity of these people. You start seeing but the big thing is you see a ziggurat. Basically, a ziggurat, uh, in a nutshell, is it, a temple. It's not just a big tower. It's a, it's a temple. So most scholars believe as Moses is penning this set of scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, his mind is on Babylon. That was, that was, the, that was the place. That was the America of that day. They, they, that is the core of humanity. And in this, this passage, we can actually think of a tower as a ziggurat. Just picture that. It's, a, it's in the middle of this place. It's huge. I think in Nebuchadnezzar, it's over 400 feet tall. This thing is not little. It's a wonder of the world, some of these ziggurats. This is a huge tower. Now, what are a couple of the main reasons man is building the city and tower in the first place? I've got three things for you. Number one is to make a name for themselves. So in other words, they say, why should we try to separate? Why should we mess up what we got going on here? Look what we're doing. We're, in, we're inventing things. We're figuring things out. We're observing that, you know, the sun dries up clay and becomes so hard it's like stone. We can build stuff. We're, look, at a, look at us. Why will we split? So let's do this. Let's plant a city to glorify ourselves. The tower, you think about the tower perspective, they're probably worshiping false idols, blasphemous, profane idolatry. So you got 
false idolatry, but more than that, they're, they're glorifying themselves, they're trying to build this life together. And, and here's the thing, is throughout all these plans, the question is, where is God? Where's God in all these plans? It, it's, it's a joke. So, so just a few hundred years before that, here's a flood, and we're already a couple generations into it, and they're already so evil. They're so corrupt in their heart and mind that they actually think that they can be glorified on, them own, on their own. And here's the a, here's a, here's a situation. Here's, here's, here's a quote first. The narrator raises the tension as he records the motivation of the builders. They were to build this city and its huge tower in order to make a name for themselves. The narrator subtly shows us that these people are seeking to defy, to defy God himself. Here's the ironic twist. They are actually blind to the reality that it is God alone who makes a name for himself. Isaiah 63, 12. You can go and turn there if you like. Isaiah 63, 12. Isaiah writes, Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for what? Himself an everlasting name. Jeremiah 32, 20 has the same picture. Just listen to it. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all mankind, they have made a name for yourself as at this day. It is God alone who makes the name, not mankind. They are already blind to this reality a couple hundred years after this flood. They're so depraved, they want to glorify their own name. They want to worship their own self, their own invention, their own initiatives. Number two, we see they not only desired a reputation, but they also desired for autonomy. Now, isn't that the exact same thing that took place at the garden? The serpent puts in the mind of Eve that, oh, you're not going to die. God knows that when you buy this fruit, you're going to be like him. You're going to know what's right and what's wrong. What happens to Eve? She, she's so, she, she feels that temptation. Oh, I, I want that. I want that wisdom. I want to be able to make decisions on my own. I want to. I want to be on my own. I don't want God to be my Lord and King. I, I, I just want to make the decision the way I want to. And from the very beginning, we see that man's decision is always, always, always to run away from God. It's God who saves. It's the God who calls so here's the core issue to this point, Genesis 11. They were trying to be God. They wanted their own fame, renown, and fortune to be steadfast in this unified world. They wanted to control their own future, success, and had their own plan for doing so. They had no room for God in their futile plans. Just one more thing, reason they built. Number three. They were fearful. What were they fearful of? Go back there, verse 4. 
Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Why? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What does God say in Genesis 1.28? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Same thing after the flood, 9.1 and 9.7. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God desires his image bearers to represent him in this world. They were to spread God's kingdom far and wide. They're not supposed to spread their fame. They're not supposed to spread their kingdom. They're supposed to spread God's kingdom, and that is it. You magnify the creator, not the creation. So don't miss this. God has a mission. He has a mission. What's his mission? For his name to be magnified and glorified to the ends of the earth, all people groups. That's his mission. That's his goal. His name alone and his plans are going to succeed because we're about to go here to verse 5. Read with me. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. So the second point we see is the sovereignty of God. And the first thing we see within the sovereignty of God is that the Lord comes down. I'm going to tell you this. This is straight biblical humor at its best. This is irony at its best. So, so in Babylon, they believed that their city was from heaven. They believed that their gods created, created Babylon and, and that their, their city was the dwelling place for their god, Marduk. That was what they believed. They, they thought they were the gift of heaven. They thought they were the, the medium between heaven and earth. And I love this. God comes down in his sovereign goodness. He comes down, not because he has to come down, but just to prove a point. People of Babel, you can build this tower that's higher than the heavens, supposedly. But I'm telling you, the higher you build it, it's even further down. I'm telling you, I have to look down to see this little pebble you think is huge. What's massive in your sight is a little piece of grain compared to me. Isaiah 40, 18-23 says this, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? Verse 21, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who, God, who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. In other words, commentator says like this, one can say that no matter how high the people of Babel towered, the Lord still had to descend to see it. There's nothing compared to our God. But let's see something here. He comes down. In verse 6, we see that he speaks. And he expresses two concerns here. Read this with me. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So two concerns here. 
Number one, that these people, this one unified people, the concern is that they are one people and they have all one language. In other words, the people are one, they have all things in common, they are all in agreement, and they are united in the defiance against God. They are completely together in this idolatrous mind frame of a man. And here, here's the worst part of it. In the flood narrative, we see that God's grace, he looks down and he finds one person that's righteous in his sight. In this, in this passage, we see there's not one single Noah. There's not one person in this whole clan of people who is righteous in his sight. This is a problem. Number two, his concern is that this is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. So in other words, if mankind is already this defiant against me, with this, this, this clutter of all, everybody in the world, this clutter of people, imagine how bad it's going to get if I don't do something right here. Their defiance is going to magnify greater and greater and greater. This is a problem. God expresses the potential problem and danger for the human race. If they continue in this way, humanity's own future is in jeopardy. In their own choosing, they will nullify the purposes of God in favor of their own purposes, which are within their reach. I love this quote. It's up there on the screen. Gordana says it like this. This is, this is beautiful. If the whole human race was remained united in the proud attempt to take its destiny to its own hands and by its man-centered efforts to seize the reins of history, there would be no limit to its unrestrained rebellion against God. The kingdom of man would displace and exclude the kingdom of God for the sake of his kingdom. The Lord must intervene. Now, doesn't he just intervene right here? Verse 7. Excuse me. That's right, seven. It says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord acts here, right? What does he do? He hits them where it hurts the worst. So this people are unified in defiance against God. What's the one thing that unites them? Is their language, their way of communication, right? So what does the Lord do? completely shakes them. Come, let us mix up their language. Why? Because they can't communicate anymore. You can stop this thing at the beginning. Again, we see that the transcendent Lord has, has to come down to even recognize the efforts of sinful man. God shatters their futile attempt to build their own man-centered kingdom. Here's a quote. It is important to keep in mind that the judgment was the destruction not of the city, but of the language that united the people. It was shattered into a multiplicity of languages so that the common bond was destroyed. The text thereby demonstrates that the present number of languages that form national barriers is a monument to sin. So what happens? The Lord acts. He goes and mixes up their language. Verse 8, we see the response to this act. It says, The Lord scatters, verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and what? They left off building the city. So humanity's ultimate fear takes place in this passage. 
They built a city to magnify, to glorify their own name. And why? Also, because they didn't want to disperse. They didn't want to scatter. They wanted to be one group forever. God's plan completely shatters their little, wimpy, tiny plan. God scatters them completely. It's what they fear the worst. They build a city so that they wouldn't be dispersed. God's actions completely shatter their vague plans. The place that was meant for unity becomes the place of dispersion. Man's view was towards centrality. God moved them universally. In spite of their disobedience, the Lord accomplishes his will. So verse 9, we get back to it. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. From there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So if you reflect on verse 1, it says that all the people represented the whole world. This is the whole world together. Verse 9, we see this, that the, these people are spread over the whole world. By this contrast, the lesson was made clear. God's purpose would be accomplished in spite of the proud defiance of humankind. For the Lord here breaks up Babel, a monolithic anti-God pagan kingdom, in order to begin his kingdom on earth anew with who? Abram and Israel and through Christ with his church. This evil empire will not control the whole earth. Nations will oppose each other, thus allowing room for God's kingdom, like yeast, to penetrate the world. The conflict of human seeking to make the world their united secular empire is what resolved. So all week, how do you apply that, this message? How do you apply those, these truths from this text to your and my life? If you're like me, as we went through that just for a second, you cannot help, you cannot help but to see Babel in our society, in our lives. Can you not? Think about this. Right now, we're in a pursuit to make America great. If you voted for him or not, you're in a pursuit for make America great. What's that mean? What's make America great mean? Isn't to, let's build our security for ourselves. Let's accumulate as much stuff for America. Let's magnify America's name over the entire earth. We're the most powerful. We're the strongest. We're the greatest. But isn't this exactly what God judged in chapter 11? God destroys Babel. Why? Because they want to magnify their own name. We live in a world that is consumed with the idea of having the biggest and best stuff. We give our lives in pursuit of having more and more things. I have to have that today. I have to have that TV. I have to have this new car. I have to have this new phone. I have to have this tablet. We're in pursuit of these things. We grab into a lie that the more stuff I accumulate, the happier I will be. We seek what? Individuality, fame, fortune, comfort, security, happiness, peace, righteousness. Yet we completely disregard the word of God in our lives and in our society and in our world. So I've got two questions for us as we say, so what? The first one is, are you living in active obedience, in pursuit of God's city that is to come. Revelation 18, we're going to read verses 21 through 23. 
Revelation 18, 21 through 23 says this. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and we found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Go a couple pages over, chapter 21. 1 through 3 says this. This is hope this morning, church. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, Matthew 8, 28, what's it say? Go, therefore, to all the earth, baptize them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching those to observe what everything that I've taught. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. In pursuit of the kingdom to come, the city of God that's to come, we're given this complete command and commission. Don't be quiet. Baptize, disciple. Make Jesus beautiful in your life. But think about this. We spend hours a day consumed in the newest shows, video games, YouTube clips, guilty. Yet on good days, maybe you spend 10 minutes studying scripture, maybe five minutes in prayer, and we disregard God's mandate to go and make disciples. Well, here's the opposite. Some of us, I'm bad about this too, we sit there and read for hours and hours. We read new commentaries, the newest books from Piper, whoever. But we might make one disciple a week, if we're lucky. Probably kind of disregard it, don't we? Seriously, think about this this morning. How many disciples have you actually made this week? How many times have you actually shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost friend, a neighbor, someone at your workplace? Well, here's some more questions for you. For the sake of your own kid's soul, how much time are you investing discipleship in your own home? How many times are you actually showing Christ to your kid while you're together? Why do, you make it, why do we make excuses about not serving and volunteering our church time at church? Yet, here's the, here's the ironic part. We have plenty of time to go to ball games, competitions, recitals, you name it. Is this not, at the very core of your my heart, a complete pushback of God? Because we are actually building a tower, a tower of Babel in our own lives. We're pretty much saying with our actions, yes, I am in control of everything of my life, and I have no time to actually give for the sake of God's kingdom, just my kingdom. We spend countless hours consuming our kids with ball and extra things of school and everything else. Yet, we're actually teaching them that Jesus and his church are secondary in our lives. Church, when are we going to wake up 
When we see that all we're doing is building more and more masses of towers in our lives, saying, no, we want to magnify our own time or our own name. It's all about us. That is it. God, we don't have no time for this. We don't have no time for you. We have no space for you in our lives. When we realize that all we are doing is building up our own city. So here's a picture real quick. If a man came to you and your family and gave you a hammer, and they, they tell you about the work for the day, and they say, all right, now, go build on the city. Simple question. Which city are you building on? Are you building for the city of man, or are you building for the city of God? That leads us to the second question here. Are you resting in the God who not only dispersed the nations, but who has also promised to bless the nations? Zephaniah 3.9 says this. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Don't we see the beauty of that at Pentecost? Listen to verse 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, this is awesome. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. As we said at the very beginning, God's plan and purpose is to be magnified in all people groups. He has promised that every people group is going to glorify and magnify his name. Revelation 7, 9, God, John sees a multitude of heaven and earth Every people group, tongue, language, glorifying, magnifying around the throne of God, saying, Jesus is Lord. It is going to be accomplished, church. It is going to be accomplished. Jesus says this, if you want to follow me, you die to yourself. You must die. You take up your cross, what, daily and follow me. He says later, come, find rest. Find rest. He is all we need. He is all we want. He is the reason for living. He is our hope, our life, our future, the only way to become right with God. God has made a way as he has done since the very beginning of creation. He will tear down secular kingdoms in order to restore his kingdom on earth. He's declared that he plans to bless the nations of all the earth. And now through the blood of Christ, church, you and I have been redeemed and adopted as his children. And now what? We're agents. We're representatives of God in this earth. So here's my prayer as we're closing. This morning, I pray that you and I will realize the glory and magnitude of our God. He is worthy. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of every aspect of you are. He actually sent his son to this earth to die a death you and I should have died. He paid a debt you and I could never pay. He rose a life so why that you and I could have life. So my prayer is that you and I, realizing if anything, towers in our lives that we have been building up, May just see that this morning. I pray that we'll fall to our knees in humble repentance, crying to our Savior and Lord, asking him to tear down any secular kingdoms that we have built in our own lives so that his kingdom and his gospel will be the passion of our hearts 
and that he will continue to work through us for the building of his kingdom alone. Let us pray. Oh God, as you've shown us in Babel today, how so often our hearts as people wander. It's easy, Father. We, we admit that. We see the things around us. We are consumed with it. God, forgive us of that this morning. But I pray for our souls, every person, including myself this morning. God, if, there, if there's kingdoms, if there's things that we're building on our own life for the, for the, for, for the, the, the building of our own kingdom, of our own name, God, I pray you would tear that down just like at Babel. But I pray that we'll call on the name of the Lord for salvation, God, for hope, for rest. But Father, we, our prayer is this. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, give us strength this morning. Will we repent of sin? Call on your name, Lord Jesus. When we ask that you would place a passion for your kingdom, for your name, for the building of your church, God, because we know one day we will be around your throne, magnifying, glorifying, saying, all praise to the Father and the Son, for he is worthy. So, Father, draw us to yourself. May your name be magnified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.